Rusty Quill presents. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, quick plugs. First of all, Twitch at twitch.tv slash wobegonpod. I've been streaming writing the soundtracks for the episodes every Sunday and playing GeoGuessr and other video games and generally just hanging out, so... Come have fun with us. For music, there's wobegonpod.bandcamp.com, where you can get remixed and remastered soundtrack albums. And then there's Patreon at patreon.com slash woe underscore begone, where you can get ad-free early access to episodes, instrumentals, soundtrack albums, Q&As, director's commentaries, and more. That's patreon.com slash woe underscore begone. Also, if you shout the name Mike Walters into the hole of a tree, you might get Wobegone content. I don't actually know. Special thanks to my 10 newest patrons. Feline Foliage, Yvette Ono, Mile After Mile, Cole Weber, Noah Kaplan, Elbereth Gathoniel, Alex, Johan Kingsley, Constance, and Edgeburb for supporting the show. Enjoy. The cabin that Anne had rented outside Oldbrush Valley, the one where she was staying before the formation of the base, was luxurious, decadently furnished, and thematically ornamented. It had been designed to feel comfortable and rustic, despite its sprawling size. Anne had been staying there for several weeks, unbeknownst to the rest of us, having received word from a future iteration of herself that her help would be required. She had been waiting patiently for me to receive the message about Edgar that would kick off the pair of missions into Tier 2, 
One mission to save Edgar outright, and one to sabotage the Flinchites and the Arbiters, the latter of these missions succeeding in the sabotage, but at the cost of Anne's life. She had been one of the opportunity costs of the connectivity strike. Without Innocent Hunter to help us, Anne was outgunned that night. The previous and only other time that I had been in Anne's rented-out cabin, I had shown up with a gunshot wound in my left arm, the result of poor marksmanship on my part, a ricochet from trying to destroy a metal box. A hasty decision, made for the reasons that most of my hasty decisions are made, in order to save Edgar. That day, she had dutifully patched me up in the bathroom, set into motion the foundation of what would eventually be the base, and kicked off the second mission into Tier 2, the one that had originally not come at the cost of any of our lives. That time would have been tomorrow, relative to the time that I was returning to. That younger version of myself hadn't yet shown up to Anne's cabin. Michael didn't know that I was doing this. He would have expressly forbid it, and he would have been right to do so. He was in his room, asleep. Or, he was in his room, at least. Probably not sleeping. It didn't matter. I would be back before he would have time to realize that I was gone. I retrieved the calculator from the safe in Mike's room, used it to transport myself, and would be back a few seconds later. Turnabout was fair play. I suspected that he had stolen the calculator the night before. I had fallen asleep in the living room, the result of a raucous boys' night in. Mike's bedroom door was unlocked for Michael to do as he pleased. It's impossible for me to say what he accomplished while I snored through Night of the Living Dead. Whatever he had done hadn't had a noticeable effect on me, and he acted as though nothing had happened. I pretended not to notice. Call that account of what happened ass-covering if you want to, but Michael paid for his access to the calculator. We stayed up well into the night, with Michael sharing stories with me. Stories about the ten years that could have been my life. Things that could still happen and things that couldn't. I learned that Michael is much more than ten years older than me. For every year, it felt like he had ten years of overlapping memories. His life had been the experiment designed to prevent us from needing to endure constant resets. Being the youngest of the three of us, I was the largest receiver of these benefits, and even I had endured one major reset and lost four months tied to a chair in Cannonball's apartment. I shudder to think what Michael might have endured, considering that this was progress. I began to understand his laser focus on Edgar, and not merely because I had spent a week home and on vacation with Edgar, and had found my strength and love for him again. Reality wasn't reality for Michael. Reality was a tenth of all that had happened to him. Trying to keep all of those memories separated, especially as the oldest of those memories crept into the distance, sounded impossible. There's a famous psychological study where scientists were successfully able to implant a false memory of a childhood hot air balloon ride that they told the subjects that they had gone on in their distant pasts. If an entirely false memory can take hold like that, then surely a formerly true alternate reality must be even more potent, more real. During the week that I spent taking care of him, I would catch glimpses into his bedroom and noticed several notebooks. I imagined him trying to diagram what happened, what didn't happen, and what needed to happen. Edgar was an anchor. Without him, all Michael had was two younger iterations of himself, iterations that he was intentionally diverting from his experiences in order to protect us, shaping our realities and distinguishing them from his even further. Michael without Edgar was unmoored. 
he was floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, to borrow a popular turn of phrase from the old country. The stories helped me understand. And he had a story for everyone, a story about how Chance and Shadow played a song for the rest of us on acoustic guitar, and we all laughed at the end and they got embarrassed and wouldn't play for us anymore. He said no one could explain why they were laughing, maybe because it was unexpected to see Chance and Shadow do something like that. He said it wasn't because they were bad, in fact they were quite good. Maybe that's why everyone laughed. I think he was pulling my leg, but he said that that night contributed to three years of his life getting corrected. A story about taking Edgar to one of those old-timey western tourist trap towns, and eating huckleberry ice cream and watching the sunset over the mountains. A story about Hunter gifting him his first cowboy hat, which Hunter had found while cleaning out his mother's attic after she had died and didn't have a home for it. It was old, well-loved and fragile, and Michael had never worn it. He kept it safe and well-kept in a closet of the house that he shared with Edgar, a sign of things to come. A story about how he had slunk off on his own in the middle of the night to do a mission without telling anyone and had gotten into trouble, sounds familiar, only for Anne to show up in the nick of time and bail him out. She had also slunk off in the middle of the night to do the same mission and had shown up minutes after he had. Marissa and Anne were causing me to lose sleep, and hearing heartwarming stories about how they improved the lives of the people around them only exacerbated things. It ate at my stomach, a physical pain as though I had ingested something poisonous. It didn't help that I was hung over from Michael's antics. The related and unrelated sensations of stomach pain and the real feeling of guilt resulted in a feedback loop that caused my brain to signal to itself that I had done something incredibly wrong. And to be clear, I had done something incredibly wrong. Killing Hunter in cold blood wasn't off of my mind either. Well, not cold blood. I don't think that's fair, there was a reason for it. But not hot blood either, because it wasn't in the passion of the moment, so... Killing Hunter in moderate temperature blood weighed heavily on my mind as well. I laid in Mike's bed, increasingly tired but still completely unable to fall asleep, which was when my mind turned to the calculator and what I might do with it. But Anne was the one that bothered me most. I had known her longer than anyone else. I had a life before Wobegon, and before that life, I had a different life, and in that life before a life, I knew Anne. Self-assured, deliberate, cunning, confident, Anne. Anne who came barreling back into my life in order to pull me back into the world when I lost the second challenge. Anne who inserted herself into this for my sake and had been swept off into a whole universe of time travel and bloodshed. A universe that intersected with mine at crucial points, but that wasn't her whole story. There were infinite stories for Anne to tell about what she had experienced, but Anne was dead. And Anne was dead because of my decisions, where she intersected with me. I was sitting in a cozy chair in the den of a fancy cabin, sipping coffee with Anne. She was scheduled to die the next night, scheduled as sure as if I had etched it into the fabric of the universe, circumstances remaining how they were. I was not there to change the circumstances. I'm sorry if I surprised you, I said. I don't think you were expecting me. Oh, no worries at all, Anne said and shrugged. She told me that you were going to be here. This is Wobegon.
It's a Kenyan coffee? I don't know. It was in the pantry when I got here. I looked it up online. It's really expensive, Anne explained. Super acidic, though. I've got antacids if you need one. I think I'll be fine, I said. So, she said, you're not the Mike that I'm going into battle with tomorrow night. Do I have that right? He doesn't know that I'm here yet. You're from later than that, and you're here to warn me about what's going to happen? How do you know any of that? I asked. It was all a part of my preparation, Anne said. I wasn't given much to work with. I haven't met anyone or anything like that. But I did receive some tapes and some documents, and one of them dealt with what to do when future Mike Walters knocks on your door. And what did it suggest that you do? I asked. Humor him. He's harmless, a little fragile, Anne replied. And these tapes that you received were from a later iteration of yourself? I asked. The tapes are, yeah. I assume the documents are as well. They arrived at the same time, she said. Anne, I'm here because we, me and other iterations of myself, killed Hunter, and it changes what happens tomorrow night, I explained. I know, documents, Anne replied. Yes, but listen, I said. The first time I did that mission, all of us made it out alive. You, me, Edgar, Hunter, Marissa. But then something terrible happened and we had to alter everything. Anne cut me off. I know, Mike. Documents. Older iterations of myself. You aren't the only person who things are happening to. She absentmindedly pulled her hair back behind her ear. I have been briefed as to what is going to happen tomorrow night. I could feel my cheeks flushing. She clearly didn't understand. Anne, I'm here because you die tomorrow night. I'm not here to try and correct the circumstances either. There's too much momentum. I don't think I could stop it if I tried. It would upend everything even worse than it has already been upended. I came here today to tell you that you are going to die. You're going to get shot down by an arbiter trying to keep my helpless ass alive, and there's nothing we can do about it. I remember the prep for that mission. If we don't do it, the outcomes are even worse. I got the impression that someone had already tested that course of action. Anne was looking down into her coffee, swirling it and watching the liquid travel in a circle around the cup. Hearing me finish my piece, she looked up at me. Duh, Mike, I know all of that. I already told you. You aren't the only one making preparations. I have mine. I furrowed my brow. How do you even have preparations? As far as I knew, every Anne associated with base was wiped out along with everyone else, I said. I can't answer that. I don't know what base is, Anne said. That's because it doesn't exist yet. But it was mostly your idea, when you still existed past tomorrow. We were all working together, I said. Why would you call it base? Could no one come up with something creative? She asked. I pitched a dozen names and you shot down every single one, I replied. <laughs> I meant someone besides you, she said. The ebullience in her voice disturbed me. I looked away from her out of the large, extravagant window facing the woods. I'm kidding, Mikey. I'm sure your names were fine. I know you're kidding, I said. I don't like it. Mikey. Anne stood up, took a step over to the chair that I was sitting in, and sat on its arm. I'm going to keep reminding you until you finally get it through your head, okay? Mike Walters and Associates are not the only people making plans. Thank God for that, by the way. We might all actually be doomed if that were the case. They told you that you were going to die, I asked. Sorry to break it to you, she said, but you don't get to be the bearer of bad news today. Womp womp. You didn't answer me before, I said, 
If every iteration of Anne from base is gone, how are they able to warn you? Come on, Anne said. You're from the future, right? So you've been at this longer than I have? You have to understand this at least a little better than I do. The Anne that's sending me messages isn't from your base. She isn't associated with you or whatever you're doing, however far in the future you are or she is. And she didn't warn me. She ordered me. At least as much as she's able to order me. I suppose she doesn't have any true power, unless she wants to come back here to this time and put me in my place. But she told me to go into Tier 2 with you tomorrow. She said that there was a high probability, indistinguishable from certainty, that I would be shot and killed inside of Tier 2 of over tomorrow. You remembered correctly, by the way. The consequences of abandoning tomorrow's mission are, to quote her, cataclysmic. The entanglement of resulting events comes with the potential of mass casualty, radiating outwards from the core group of participants or something like that, blah blah blah. Very formal, we get it, Anne, you went to journalism school. At this point, Anne left me enough room to formulate a response, but I wasn't able to. Edgar and I would probably die if you didn't come with us, I said. You're listening to me, right? Anne asked. This isn't about Mike fucking Walters, like this time at least. Don't get me wrong, I'd be sad if you died. I have been before, right? I haven't met Edgar, but I'd be sad if your boyfriend died too. Less sad. But this isn't about you. Think about it, Mike. Within just this mission, there's us, there's Over, Wobegon, and the Flinchites. There are three other organizations so much larger than Mike Walters in just this situation that you can't even fathom them. I can't either. I only know what I've been sent, and a good deal of what I'd like to know is hidden. And on top of all of that, there's me and every iteration that's forked off from me, doing whatever they're doing, forming their own associations. Most of those associations are not with you. Nothing personal, it pays to diversify. And they were right about that. Because tomorrow I'm going to die inside of Over, and only the iterations that are not connected to you will survive. I've died before. I've watched myself die, I said. It doesn't matter if there are other iterations of you out there, you're going to be the one that dies. You'll be gone. You won't go into them, you won't become them. That's just the end. I could feel a lump in my throat, but tried to stop it from affecting my voice. Anne put her arm around me and sighed. Well, older Anne told me in the tape she sent that things are going to get rough with uh, killing me and all that, but that I needed to hang tight, whatever that means. Maybe she has a plan to reverse all this when the time's right. I don't know. I don't trust her to do jack shit. She's me. Hang tight? That's exactly what I'd tell another iteration of me if I was sending her off to die and didn't intend to do anything about it. Can't complain when I'm dead, right? She chuckled. Seems like I lose either way, so I might as well go down helping myself out and you from the looks of it. And hey, if you can get her to throw me a bone further down the line, get me back into commission, yeah, that'd be great. I took a deep breath. You had orders to console me, didn't you? I asked. Her body heat against mine evoked sense memories. Working in cramped spaces at base to get important work done. Studying together in college. Riding around smushed together in the backseat of a friend's car. Like I said, she doesn't really have authority to order me to do anything, Anne said. I don't think she would come here and punish me if I had told you to fuck off. Orders aside, I owe you one. Between you and me, my fourth challenge didn't go as smoothly as I might have told you that it did. I put that together myself a long time ago, I said. 
Not everything that you told me adds up. It's alright. It worked out. Did you ever figure out how it worked out? She asked. Nope, never did, I said. That was so long ago that you and me could have only imagined someone was playing Wobegon, but then nobody ever came to finish their fourth challenge. I think at this point it's safe to say that I wasn't somebody's prize. Don't get me wrong, there are at least a handful of people trying to hunt me down, but I don't think that any of them are doing it to finish the Wobegon challenges. Well, that's good, Anne said. You're safe, at least from that. We both fell silent. I continued to stare out the window. Anne shifted on the arm of the chair. My face felt hot. Well, you consoled me. Great job, Anne. So, what do we do now? I asked. Door's right there if you want to leave, Anne said. I turned and looked at her. Kidding, Mike, you know when I'm kidding. My concern must have been showing on my face. Let's just talk. We haven't had a chance to just talk, you know? It had been months since I heard from you, then you died. I started Wobegon, we did the third challenge together, and then I went off on my own and I only came back when it was time to kill you. At no point did we get a chance to hang out, talk, unless you count that time that we were hiding from the police. We had some time to hang out when we worked at base together, I said. It was nice. It reminded me of college. I saw you all the time, so we were either working together or hanging out together when there wasn't work. We rented out a house for everyone to collaborate in. I would have liked that, Anne said. She stood up and went back over to her own chair, the smallest amount of upset energy visible in her movement. It wasn't directed at me, but instead into the ether, one of the many potential futures that she was losing. Do you want me to tell you what the future used to be like? I asked. Anne pursed her lips. No, I don't think so, she said. That would only make it more difficult, I think. Do you feel any solace in knowing what the future used to be like? None at all. I answered quickly. The answer was obvious. Case in point, Anne said. I was pretty great, though. Irreplaceable. Between you and Edgar, you ran a tight ship. It was me that messed everything up, I said. That's all I needed to hear, she said. She was smiling. I was hoping we could, you know, reminisce? Talk about the good old days that probably weren't that good, but we were 19 or 20 and had the energy to power through it. I feel like an old lady. I'm sure that reckoning with my premature death isn't helping. Do you remember when we first met? Hmm. The very first time we first met, I said. No, I don't think so. We were in the same dorm freshman year, so we met there, obviously, but the first actual time? No, I don't. Anne sighed. I was quieter back then, that's probably why you don't remember, she said. You and your buddies were in the common room doing something disruptive. I think you might have been making a pyramid out of the chairs? Oh, yeah, I have a picture of that on my old computer. Wherever that is, I said. And I had seen all of you around, and I knew that you were the other weirdos. And I had just moved, I didn't know anyone in town, I just started transitioning, doing pretty well, all things considered. New school, new me. And I remember thinking like, I'm gonna walk in there and just start hanging out. Like, they're already my friends. I think that's how most people do it. And I did it. And you all were my most important friend group for the rest of college. What was I like? I asked. Honestly, a little competitive, Anne said. As in, new person, I need to make sure that she understands how brilliant I am, how well I can build this stupid fucking chair pyramid, how many movies I've seen, shit like that. 
Stop, stop, stop. I feel seen, and I don't like it, I said. We were both laughing. But eventually you let your guard down and became the prickly weirdo that I know you as, with some growing up to do. I got what I signed up for on day one, she said. What did you think of me? Not to get all high-minded about it, I said, but you seemed quietly determined to become the best version of yourself. You wanted to come out of your shell, and you did. I watched it happen when I started getting to know you. You wanted to be this big, brave combat journalist, and you got exactly what you wanted. <laughs> Which makes sense. Who is going to stand in your way? Oh, you're too kind, she said. But you're right. I spent my high school years feeling lost. I mean, I think everyone does. Hormones and all that. Especially the wrong ones. But I wanted to plant my feet firmly and figure out who I was. You know, normal college bullshit, they make movies about it. But I think that I actually came out the other side having a good idea who I was. Way better idea than I had, that's for sure, I said. Don't be hard on yourself, Mikey, she said. But yes, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that, but also you are correct. I've seen later iterations of myself. I can see who I am and who I'm going to become. And I think... I think I turn into a cowboy... It's not what I was expecting, I said. Huh. No, I can see that, Anne said. W really? I asked. Yeah, you've got cowboy energy. Yeah, for sure, she said. She looked me up and down. Elaborate on that, I demanded. I don't think I can, she said. It's not something that I would have suggested myself, but now that you've put it out there, I can see it. Between what you've just told me and informing me that there is a whole network of future Anns, consider my mind blown, I said. Glad I could help, she said. We spent the rest of the afternoon sitting around, telling stories about college, reminiscing. We went on a long walk in the nearby woods and talked. Stories about parties and run-ins with the law, who we dated and when we broke up, where people ended up after we graduated who was still together, who was dead. I told her about Edgar, how I felt like he molded me into myself. Time slipped through our fingers, and the sun was setting before we knew it. Well, I had better go, I said, after some time putting it off. You have a busy day tomorrow. Mikey shows up bright and early, if I remember correctly. He's been shot, so be gentle with him. Oh, I will, Anne said. It was nice catching up. I wish we had more time, I said. We began walking to the front door of the cabin. I got here five weeks ago, she said. You could have shown up back then and we'd have five whole weeks together. I mean, I guess you still could, but I won't remember this. I might just do that, actually, I said. Is there anything you want me to pass along to Annie? Annie? What the fuck, Mike? She asked. I just thought the youngest Mike is Mikey, so the youngest Anne was Annie and the oldest was like Annabelle or something, I said. No, Anne is fine. Annie, Jesus, she said. Tell her not to freak out when she hears about how tomorrow night is going to go. It's a lot of wasted energy and emotion, and it didn't help me find solace or catharsis or prepare myself or anything like that. Just a few days lost in the void for no reason that I don't get back. I can do that. I don't know if it'll help, though, I said. Oh, it probably won't, Anne said. I thought I'd just give it a shot. Is there 
anything else? I asked. Uh, one more thing. The later Anne that I've been talking to said that they're aware of your movements and that they could send someone once things get settled, she said. Send someone? You mean an Anne? I asked. No, actually. They're sending John to Turo because of how much you liked him in Barton Fink, she said. Yes, another Anne. You have to have someone giving orders, right? Right, I said. I looked down at my feet. My eyes traced the eyelets on my boots, then over to Anne's baby blue house shoes. I had never taken my shoes off. I should be going then. Thanks for stopping by, Mikey. I really mean it, Anne said. I think that both of us got what we needed. The door was open. Anne, I embraced her in a tight hug. I hope so. I really do. Don't you start crying on me, Anne said. We made it this far. There was an extra squeeze and then our hug ended. You're right. Stiff upper lip, I said. I'll see you around, Mikey, she said. Yeah, I'll see you around, I repeated. I stepped through the threshold of the door. Love you, Anne. Love you too, Mike. Take care of yourself, she said. You too, I replied. Bye, Mike. Bye, Anne. The door closed. I was alone on the other side of it. I could feel the tears welling up. I pulled out the calculator, confirmed the coordinates to the apartment at the correct time, and transported myself from Anne's doorstep back to Latvia. I did it. I made it a whole episode without doing a cowboy voice. I'm free. I'm free. Oh my god. Until next episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.